what better message to get than the fact that we can claim that we are a child of God. That is something to rejoice about. This morning before I start, I just want to share a personal note. You're all aware that my father passed away two weeks ago yesterday. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart of the cards, of the texts, of the emails, phone, whatever it may have been, but also to the hugs from you, my family. They have meant a lot to me. You mean a lot to me. No matter how hard you prepare for that final end, even though that he was 93 and we pretty much expected it to happen, when I got the phone call Friday morning, it knocked the winds out of me. I don't know how people can function without church family. I don't. And I even got little kids praying for me. You guys are awesome. And I thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time that you give to us to partner and be in your presence. Father, right now is your time. Father, the time that I empty myself of me, and I pray that the words that I deliver are yours. So may my words go according to your will, and that the message you have this morning will be truly from you. I thank you, Father, for your presence, for your compassion, for your love, for your patience, and for just being here. In your loving son's name I pray. Amen. What would Pastor Fred's sermon be without props, right? You don't know what I'm getting back here, do you? Okay. Deacons, get the water and let's have a party. This morning, we're going to look at a picture found in John 5. We're going to look at a question that Jesus asked a man and a question that he is asking each one of us. Do you want to be made well? I see some heads shaking. I'm a broken person. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I have struggles. I have difficulties. I want to be transformed because, see, that's what God's desire is, is to transform me back to the place 
what it was like at the very beginning. And in doing so, he'll build my character. I can't help but think of that last month when I visited my dad in the nursing home and the people that I talked to and came in contact with. If that question were to be asked of them, I'm sure there would have been some who would have jumped at the opportunity and say, definitely, I want to be made well. But I saw a whole gamut of different people. One little lady named Ruth in a wheelchair. She was quite a character. Good frame of mind. Wanted me to help her with things. I couldn't take her to the bathroom as she requested, but I helped her get a towel and a blanket to get warm. I talked with her, I walked with her, I pushed her down the hall. Come to find out she's 106. But I can't help but think of my dad. Dad, do you want to be made well? I don't know how he would have responded. He lived a good life, 93 years old. We had talked. He understood death as sleep. And he had told me, he says, Fred, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. And he was. So to prolong whatever he was looking at, I don't know. Because it was difficult for those in that facility, but also, too, for us to watch him in the trials and the problems that he experienced. But I think that we have to answer this question to ourselves. Do you want to be made well, Fred? Well, yes, Lord, I do. But in order for me to respond to that, I need to acknowledge that I have a problem. That I have areas that need to be addressed in order for them to be made well. Let's look at the story as it unfolds in John 5. You will notice that in your bulletin there is a handout. You'll see the scripture text if you want to follow there. It will be on the screen. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Interesting text there, isn't it? Because some of you may be having Bibles in your hands and say, wait a minute, Pastor, my Bible doesn't even have verse 4 in it. And that's true. NIV, the living, good news. And that's a whole other sermon on itself. 
But there's a purpose for it because the purpose of verse 4 was to help paint a picture of this tradition, of this belief that they believed in took place for those people to be laying there on those different porches by those different pools. But then again, too, we're going to come to the point of verse 5. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Can you fathom that? 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? You know, I got to be honest with you. Lord, (laughs) 38 years, what do you think he's going to say? 38 years, do you want to be made well? I love how he responds. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. By what? But while I am coming, another steps down before me. He gave an excuse. Lord, I want to, but... Lord, I... I need to, I try to, but how many times do we sometimes respond to the Lord? I want to, but it just doesn't fit into my schedule. It just doesn't fit into what I want to do. Because you got to admit, if he were to be healed after 38 years, life would take on a whole different perspective, wouldn't it? You'd have to be responsible. But yet, he gave his excuses to Jesus, but in verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. I love that. That day was the Sabbath. But again, if I am honest with you, I look at that story and I see a lot of holes. I see a lot of holes that I don't understand about this man. I don't understand about the facilities. I don't understand about their traditions. There's a lot of things I don't understand. It's almost like if I returned to the Jerusalem Gazette and they ran an article on him, on his life, I would open up to read it. Something's missing. Something is missing. Things about this man that I do not know. But the question is, is it important for me to know? Because even though I may have holes with this man, I look out at you, my church family, and guess what? I see holes within our relationship because I don't know everything about you either. Which leads me to speculate and question and to all of a sudden insert things that may not even be there. But I thank the Lord that the Lord, when he looks at his newspaper, it's complete. 
It's complete. There are no holes when it comes to the life of the man who laid there for 38 years. There's no holes in the life of any one of you when Jesus looks at you because he knows you completely. He didn't have to get the answers that I may ask of him. Well, for crying out loud, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? 38 years, you could have gotten yourself down there sometime. If it was me, I would have done this. Jesus didn't go down that road. He had compassion upon him. Because he saw the life of that man complete. And he didn't have to speculate or wonder. In all actuality, when you look at this story, and I think that I myself have to do it, and that is look at the face value of the picture itself. It's almost impossible to imagine what this gentleman may have experienced. 38 years, and he was healed. He was able to stand up and be free of all the pain and the weaknesses. He was free from the depression that gripped him because I'm sure he probably wrestled with that many times. He was free from the shame that was there that he brought upon himself. This man, when he is healed, he just doesn't get up and walk. He gets up and runs. Because he has something to run about. A man came and told me to pick up my mat and walk. And he doesn't even know the man. Because you've got to get in your mind the picture Back then, they focused upon the pool. Because when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Every time I get toward the pool, someone comes in and steps in front of me. See, in the eyes of the mind and the perspective of the man, the pool was the answer. Well, in actuality, the answer was Jesus standing in front of him. And not only that, Jesus came in through the sheep gates. The sheep gate, folks, the gates that they brought sheep in for the sacrifice. And who did the sheep represent? Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't do things just for the sake of doing them. He does them for a purpose and a reason. And so he's talking to this man, and this man did not even realize who he was talking to because he was so focused on the pool. This is where we're going to have to look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. Do we get like that? Do we look at ourselves and try to give excuses to God about, I want to, but I can't because... In all actuality, the misconception of the pool was incorrect. That wasn't the healing power at all. It was the Savior that was standing in front of them. It was the relationship that Jesus wanted to have with that gentleman that was the saving grace. That was the miracle that he wanted to establish within this child of his. 
everyone is rejoicing, it seems like, except for a handful. And that was the Jewish leaders. Pretty sad. Pretty sad when you see a man of 38 years being healed. And all of a sudden we find out that the text continues. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. I wish I was there. I'd whack the Jews on. Come on, didn't you see what happened? A miracle took place. He's been laying there for 38 years and he gets up and he not only walks, he runs, he jumps. Did you see it? And all they could say is, no, no, no. Shouldn't do that. It's the Sabbath. Boy, did they miss the boat. Did they miss the boat? Eleven, he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. He did exactly what he was told to do. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Thirteen, but the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. He wasn't even there. 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. You've got to be kidding me. Are we like that? Do we hold on to the Sabbath so strongly? in the light of the Jews, that we miss the whole aspect of God's miracles, of his desire for each one of us? You're familiar with in Matthew 15, or 12, 12, when Jesus was walking the disciples through the wheat field, and they thrashed the wheat, and boy, that got the attentions of the, of the Israelites, of the Jews. And the question came up about helping a sheep that had fallen into a ditch. 12.12, how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful, listen, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I'll be honest with you folks, when I came into the church, that wasn't my mindset for quite a while. I focused on the behavior. 
if I didn't focus on the heart and the relationship that God wanted me to have. I wanted to be a good Adventist. And I knew that you guys were looking at me. So therefore, I had to come across with the right behavior. Boy, was I wrong. Was I wrong. There's a statement that is found. This issue keeps arising from the Jewish leaders. They do not appreciate the good thing that Jesus does on the Sabbath. Most Jews cower at the rebuke from these men, but Jesus does not. He is very clear about this. He cares for the poor, the sick, and the marginalized more than he cares for how some people may interpret and apply God's law. It is easy to follow a set of rules, but it is much harder to care for the things of the heart. Did you hear that? It's easy to follow the rules. It's the list out there you just check off, but it is harder to care for the things of the heart. He almost makes it clear. He also makes it clear that those who follow his path are put on the earth to serve. His followers' service comes out of the love for him. All who follow him are to love and to serve, especially on the Sabbath. I call myself a Christian, and Christ says, I came to this earth to serve, not to be served. So if I'm a Christian, what are my marching orders? Serve. Be like Christ. Be like Christ. share with you this one thought. The Jewish leaders saw both a mighty miracle of healing and a broken rule. They threw the miracle aside as they focused on their attention on the broken rule. Boy, did they miss it. Because the rule was more important to them than the miracle, God is prepared to work in our lives. But he can shut out this miracle by limiting our views about how he works. He wants to work in our lives, but it can be limited due to our perspective. I have shared with you this equation before, <laughs> and I'm going to do it again. C plus P equals E. Circumstance plus perspective equals experience. Through this whole story, there were different perspectives. There was the perspective of the man himself. There was the perspective of Jesus. There was the perspective of the Jews. And there was the perspective of me, the reader. Same circumstance but different perspectives. Whatever perspective I choose is going to result in my experience. When I have people who come to me, I try to counsel, the first thing I ask them is, what's on your plate? What is your perspective? What is your relationship with Christ like? 
because it's going to affect your experience. Perspective. This equation will hit you multiple times every day of your life. You look in the scriptures and you can find it prevalently in the old and the new. Perspective. That's why I have found it important for me to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, not only help me understand, but help me see the situation through your eyes. Because my eyes are not always true. They can be skewed. They can be altered. They can be influenced by myself and others. The desire that I need to have is God's perspective. Because in doing so, that is the experience that I want. People will come to me and they say, Fred, for whatever reason, I just can't seem to get my act together. I continue to make bad choices. And I feel for them. But a lot of it has to do with the choices they make from that circumstance because they have the wrong perspective. They're like the man who thinks that he can do it himself for 38 years trying to get to the pool when they need to realize they need to let go. They need to let go. I can carry this balloon around with me from this point on. And this balloon is going to help me to be able to live right, to make right decisions, to do the right thing. I don't need nothing else except this balloon. Isn't this a nice balloon? When I'm sad, I can look at the balloon. I can even give it a name. Teddy. (laughs) How you doing, Teddy? Yeah, we've had a bad day today. It's been hard. But I know between you and me, I can handle everything that comes my way. And the Lord's going, Fred, who's Teddy? Because it may sound silly, but we hold on to and we harbor and we try to look at life thinking that we are the ones that have the answer. Did the gentleman laying there for 38 years have the answer? No. It wasn't until someone else came along that had the answer. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, do you think that you have the answer when it comes to the problems in your life and your struggles and the storms? Because if you do, you have just developed a friend named Teddy. But Teddy's full of hot air. And he's not much more of a friend than a friend full of hot air. Bottom line, folks, is if you got a Teddy, let go. Let go.
Sergio helped me through this time with my dad as we text. And one of the phrases he said, Fred, let go and let God. And how true that is. Because I can't do it myself. I need to let God. Teddy is nothing more than just a ball of hot air. When you look at things through God's eyes, this next picture on the screen paints to me that he even hurts himself. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Isn't that powerful? especially by the person who wrote it, Johnny Erickson Tata. Boy, if you ever heard her story. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Dwell upon that. Dwell upon that. Because you as a parent out there, and there's many parents, how many times have you had to allow your children to experience something that you hated because you know from it it may experience pain or hurt or struggles. But you knew it was the best thing for your child. And you allowed it because you loved your child and you still do. And God loves me more than I could ever love my boys. And he loves you more than you could ever fathom of loving anybody else. So he will allow things to happen in your lives for a purpose. To build character. To build understanding. To build, to build relying upon him. A dependence upon him. Because too often we think that, Lord, I can do it myself. How many times have you gone through struggles and you've been on your knees and you prayed? And, Lord, Lord, draw close to me. And he comes and he surrounds you. And the end is wonderful. And life is good. And all of a sudden you go, ah, I can take care of myself now. The Lord was there in the tough times. Life is good. I don't need him right now. What a lie. What a lie. There are many in the church today who wait by the pool of Bethesda, hoping to be carried into the healing waters. Who will help them? There are people in this church waiting to be carried to the pool of Bethesda. They're hurting. They have needs. Who will provide that? God is asking us to be intentional. God is asking us to open up our eyes and look at those around us, our own families who sit in the sanctuary. 
The Savior provided five distinctive examples during his visit to the pool that can serve as guidelines to us in ministering to the sick and to the afflicted. Jesus looked for a need. Be honest with me. When you wake up in the morning, do you say, today I'm going to look for the needs of others? If I have to answer honestly, I'm saying no, no. Because too often the default button is more self-serving and I have to make a special effort to look for the needs of other people. But Jesus is asking us to look for the needs of others. I, I love this lady I've shared with you before. Her name is Ann Kimmel. She's a small, petite woman. She's an author. She's written a book. I love the word impossible. Becky and I had a chance to see her, oh, many, many years ago in Portland. Talk about a dynamic, small woman because of what she would do. She would wake up in the morning and she would get all cleaned up and prepare herself to look nice and she would go to the airport and she would sit down and say, Lord, use me. She knew her job. She knew what God wanted from her was to serve. So what better place for her to do that than she would go to the airport and she would sit and say, Lord, use me. Let me serve. Did he respond? She wrote many books because he did respond. He heard his child. I'll tell you, if you ever cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, use me today, watch out, because he will. It may be at your job, it may be at the gas station, it may be at Winko, Fred Myers, wherever it is. It may be the neighbor next door. It may be the person walking down the street with a dog. You don't know. But allow yourself to be open to say, Lord, use me. Meet the need. This church does well when it comes to meeting the needs of people. We got a diaper bank. Tracy Ann has her ministry as far as the hats, the stocking caps. My goodness, these people here are just going crazy with the stocking caps. And they're having fun at it, but they're doing it for a purpose to meet the needs of those who are homeless and need a hat. The children across the street, every Christmas, they get a hat because they need to keep their heads warm. We have to be intentional to be able to say, Lord, what is it? The phrase that hit me many years ago was found in the ministry of healing. It said that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. You've heard it before. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs, and he won their confidence. That's my marching orders. That's your marching orders when it comes to meeting the needs of the people. It's not so much you walking up to the person and saying, do you want to be made well? 
but you walk up to them and say, how can I be of service to you? I am here for you, bud. I got your back. How can I be of service to you? How can I be of service to you? It has to be genuine. It has to be real. God wants us to be involved. He wants us to serve. Listen without criticism. You look at the text when God asked him, do you want to be made well, and what did he do? Lord, excuse, excuse, excuse. Did that affect the, the results of the Lord? No. He listened to him. He allowed him to air his frustrations. We're too critical at times. I'm too critical at times. I read this story, and I was too critical because there were so many holes. I tried to speculate what was wrong with him. My goodness. It's not my place to criticize. It's not my place to speculate. It's not my place to even open my opinions to you. These last two weeks, you've had every opportunity when you've seen me to walk up to me and share with you with me, your opinion of how I should respond to my father's death. But you didn't. You gave me the greatest gift that anyone could do, and that was giving me a hug and asking me, how are you doing? And taking the time to listen That, to me, is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to individuals is the act of listening. To serve anonymously. Remember when they asked them, gentlemen, who healed you? He looked around and where was Jesus? He was gone. He was gone. He didn't stick a ray. God is not one who likes to be in the limelight. He does not like to take all of a sudden the attention upon himself. He did many things through Christ in the Bible that it took place and Jesus was gone. We are to be like them. We are to be like them. Have you ever experienced in your life I know for us as a family on vacation, when the boys were little, we went to a little restaurant, and we, in fact, we had uh, toasted cheese sandwiches, and we sat down, and, and we prayed, and we held hands, and when the dinner or lunch was over, we went to pay, and the cashier lady said, that's okay, it's already been taken care of. I, I said, really, by whom? He's already gone. He just wanted me to tell you he was impressed that you prayed as a family. 
It was just toasted cheese sandwiches. But it made an impact upon my life. It made an impact upon our life as a family. Josh was older in college, working down in Oregon. We were coming up the coast at Easter, not Easter, but Thanksgiving time. Becky and I and Josh stopped off at Denny's just before Thanksgiving. And we sat down to eat, and we looked over to our right, and there was a mother with two children holding hands and praying. And all three of us looked at each other. You want to? Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the cashier and said, I'm covering their bill, but don't tell them. We didn't leave because we were still eating, but that woman got up there, and we could just see it when she started to pay, and the cashier said, no, it's been paid for because you and your family prayed. She was in tears. She was in tears. You know, it's kind of nice to do things anonymously. Not even knowing about it. Because when we get to heaven, the things that we have done in this world may come back to us as far as how we've impacted or affected the individuals that have come across our path. We need to learn about grief. Ah. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus knows my grief because he experienced it. In order for me to be of value to somebody else's grief, I have to be able to relate to that person. I have to be able to understand the grieving process myself. And the best way that I could do that, and I'm going to use those toys over there, but it's going to take too long, and that is I need to get to know the person that I'm with, that I'm there to help. Not sharing my perspective, but getting to know that person. It's a long story short from the blocks. Two times this week in Bible studies, people want to talk about revelation. I said, you know what? That's wonderful. But I think it's so important that you establish a foundation to build upon. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. If you don't have a solid foundation, I don't care how smart you are in Revelation or Daniel, you're going to crumble and you're going to fall. That foundation in Jesus is my strongest ally. But also, too, it can be my strongest ally when it comes to compassion and talking to people. I need to get to know them. I need to allow them to be a part of their life. I need to have them say, can I journey with you? And they say, yes. Because grieving is hard. And sometimes when people grieve, you don't have to say nothing. You can just sit there and hold their hand or put your arm around them. And the last one is follow up with the sufferer. 
See, Jesus did not abandon the man. He went to the temple and he found him. He did physically heal the man, but he had more desire for this man. And he told him to go and sin no more because he knew that there were things in his life that he was making bad choices. And if you make those bad choices, then you're going to experience more difficult problems. But the word sin no more. The woman who was caught in adultery, when Jesus asked her, where are those that condemn you? She says, I don't see him. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. The key factor is for us today, folks, Fred, go and sin no more because I want to make you well. Lord, what does that look like? Don't look at the behaviors, Fred, and checking off the list of things that you shouldn't be doing. Build a relation upon the foundation of Jesus Christ that you can build upon. Because in doing so, in doing so, you'll be making right choices. Because unfortunately, Fred, it's your wrong choices that lead you into bad circumstances. And that's where the C plus P equals E comes into play. Do you make good choices or bad choices? Because either way, it's going to develop into a circumstance. And how do you view that circumstance as your perspective? Because you want to live life with good experiences. I do. So Fred, go and sin no more. Lord, I need your help. I'm there with you. You don't need Teddy, Fred. You got me. But Lord, I have a tendency to want to do right, but I don't do right. I sound like Paul in Romans 7. I really want to do what is good, but I can't seem to do it because the sin that was in me is making me make the wrong decision and the wrong choices. And he says, Fred, I know. I know. And I cry out to him, oh, I'm a wretched man. What do I do to get this resolved? And he say, thank the Lord, because through Jesus Christ, I can correct that pattern. I can become a new creature. I can become a new person with Jesus Christ. And because of that, I can partner with him. And I don't have to make the choices alone. He's there for me. He's there for me. This morning, we have seen a picture, really, of the essence of the gospel. At the final day, the Savior will not ask about the nature of our callings. He will not inquire about our material possessions or fame. He will ask if we ministered to the sick, gave food and drink to the hungry, visited those in prison, or gave assistance and support to the weak. Those words sound familiar to you? Matthew 25. When we reach out to assist the least 
of our Heavenly Father's children. Get this, folks. When you reach out to help somebody, we do it unto Him. We do it unto Him. He wants it to be so personal for us. That he makes it real. The people that we see, I don't need to question or speculate when I see a need. Just fulfill the need, Fred. God will take care of the rest. That is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be of service. Look for those who are in need. Grieve with them. Find them. Be with them. Journey with them. Help them in the process. But not be critical. Not to criticize. Just love them. Hold them. And just let them know that you love them and care for them. Because that's what Jesus does to us. And that's what he did to the man at the pool of Bethesda. Father, we thank you so much for when we call, you do answer. And you rescue us. You rescue us from so many things within this world. But you rescue us from ourselves. Draw close to us today, Father. May we leave this church knowing that your presence is with us and that you'll be with us in the week to come and that we can always rely upon you as we lift you up because you are the God, the Savior, our friend, and you never abandon us. May we experience the healing and miracles even within our own lives that you want for us. Draw close to us now. We just thank you for this time, your presence, and your words this morning. In your loving son's name I pray, amen.